again, fellow travellers, and welcome to podcast 139 in our series, You Should Have Been There, with me, Mick Webb. And me, Simon Calder, and today's title is The Place to Be in 23. We will be looking forward resolutely to what can only be a better year for travel. What new trends, what new destinations, what creative ways are there to travel hopefully and responsibly in times of pestilence, war and financial and climate crisis. And you know, one thing we can look forward to, although we don't know quite uh, when it will be launched, is the new British Airways uniform, which includes jumpsuits, I gather. Yes, and what a splendid idea that is. Just a reminder that the whole purpose of cabin crew on British Airways or any other airline is to ensure your safety and in particular to be absolutely um, as fast and as efficient as possible in an emergency evacuation. So, for that, a jumpsuit is far more practical than, I don't know, a skirt and high heels. I really couldn't care what they look like. They are here to um, help um, with with safety, and that's that. Yeah, well, I take your point. But um, anyway, like the uh, Roman god Janus, or Janus, let's look back as well as forward at some recent Twitter responses sent to You Should Have BT. And uh, I think, uh, Simon, you still owe an apology, or at least a clarification to Cleo Pascal, who joined us last month to talk about <laughs> digital nomads. Um, And uh, you tweeted this afterwards. Who was the original digital nomad? The latest You Should Have Been There podcast carbon dates Cleo Pascal as the very first person to embark on a life of global wandering with little more than a laptop and a smile in the early 1990s. Well, yes, as Cleo pointed out when she responded to that, she did actually also have um, clothes. <laughs> and furthermore, as we learnt during the podcast, um, she has actually a, a, a very fine wardrobe um, <laughs> stashed at various friends' houses um, and uh, apartments in various parts of the world. So, uh, yes, very glad to make that uh, clear. And following our very enjoyable and interesting chat, well, that was my opinion anyway, with another Canadian. This was the marvellous Jean McNeil in podcast 137 about travel fiction as an inspiration for travellers. We received this tweet from Zippity Doodah. I highly recommend Trip Fiction who specialise in reviewing travel fiction. The website has a huge database searchable by location and or genre. There's curated lists of best books set in dot 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 and frequent giveaways. A great resource for armchair or actual travellers. Well, as I'm going to be an actual traveller very soon, I'm going to Bruges in um, Belgium next weekend. Oh. Uh, I had a look at the uh, website. I put in uh, Bruges and up came uh, several novels, uh, one of which really quite caught my um, attention. Uh, it was called Bruges La Motte. Uh, Bruges the Dead, and is the story of one man's obsession with his dead wife and his soul's struggle between an alluring young dancer, 
his late wife's double, and the beautiful, melancholy city of Bruges, whose moody atmosphere mm. mirrors his mourning. Um, and then, um, apparently, uh, this novella will enthrall readers with its dark portrait of fin de siècle Europe. So I'm going to try and get hold of that. Anyway, going back even further to the mighty podcast 130 about free travel, I'm very glad to see that Ellis Davis liked your promotional tweet The country where all public transport is free. The times when top museums like Zagreb's MSU don't charge an entrance fee and the chance to enjoy Simon Calder's brilliantly topical politico-Freudian slip. Well, I had to um, search quite hard in my um, memory files to um, uh, remember what the the topical political Freudian slip was. Uh, Can you... Can you remember? Um, I'm going to guess that I did the fairly obvious and very common thing of confusing Brexit with breakfast. Um, I could, I guess, have um, somehow um, uh, conflated uh, travel restrictions with with travel opportunities, or I might have maybe confused Boris Johnson and or Liz Truss with people suitable to be prime minister. I don't know. What was it? Well, actually, you're... Getting quite close um, with your uh, last guess, because the podcast was recorded during the very short reign of the Prime Minister before this one, <laughs> and you said um, Luxembourg is a country where you can travel for nothing on trains, ferries, and trusses. <laughs> right, okay, well, thank you for checking that back. Andy Nash, meanwhile, reminded us that sometimes the travel gods can smile on a person, even at the most unpropitious of times. This is what uh, Andy tweeted on December the 27th. Christmas travel nightmares? London Heathrow Terminal 5 at 0500 this morning, straight up to the boarding card reader and then to an empty security lane. Plane departed and landed early, followed by no queue at uh, Vienna Passports. Easiest journey ever. Which leads me to ask, um, how has travel been for you this week? Because um, I gather you've been to Egypt. I certainly have. And I had an Andy Nash style experience going through Gatwick. It was astonishing. I think actually even easier. Uh, I went through security. It took no time at all. And I was swigging my bottle of water. And the um, official said, uh, oh, you don't need to do that. Um, We got new scanners. Leave your bottle of water. Leave your laptop. Leave your liquids in the bag. Just put it all through. And I threw in seconds. So that was a joy. um, And I made it in good time for the flight. Coming back, I've been tipped off. Get to her Garda airport three hours early. And, well, I found out why. I've left this little audio postcard for you. I've been at her Garda airport for an hour and a half. And I am just coming up to check number six, I believe. This is the one where they want to check that you've had your visa stamped. Um, I'm not quite sure what's going on. Um, There's a lot of uh, shouting and a lot of gesticulating. Um, And he wants to see see the passport. There we are. Hello. Hello. What's your name? My name is Simon. Simon. There we are. Well, 
All right, now on to the, uh, I think, second security check. Obviously looking for the, um, uh, the shortest queue, which I may possibly have found. Um, obviously, I'm carrying all my belongings on my back. Um, the first check was for absolutely every scrap of luggage. Um, and then I will finally be airside. But luckily, I think, I was told, do not hang around at airside, whatever you do, go straight to the gate because there's a surprise extra check that nobody tells you about that um, you need to be prepared for. Well, that is a tale of two airports, if ever there was one, and a uh, salutary um, warning or piece of advice to people travelling to and back from Egypt's Red Sea resorts. Now, um, apropos of our most recent podcast, the Extremely Hard Travel Quiz, which you can still, of course, listen to and see if you can do better than us, Andy Pandy had a political (laughs) response to the question, what is the world's shortest river? Is it Labour's River of Dreams? Well, time alone will tell, Andy, and I, I like your Billy Joel reference there. However, as long as it's not a river of tears, I, for one, will be happy. Uh, and the answer, by the way, is the Rio Correntoso in uh, in Argentina, although um, other candidates are available. Anyway, I'm absolutely delighted that the regular listener and contributor to You Should Have Been There, Rebecca Halpin, enjoyed the quiz and seems to have done rather better than you, Mick. Certainly a lot better than me. Rebecca says, very enjoyable. I would have got the location with the Riverside Company name which, as I'm sure you know, was cunningly incorporated into the building design as a way around advertising restrictions at the time. This was, of course, our reference to the OXO Tower. Yes, and it was apropos of your um, mystery location, which was Waterloo Bridge. Um, Hardly more than a stone's throw from your house, I think. But finally, after all this rambling, we should get on to the uh, the burning question of the day, which is, uh, where should we be in 2023? And where do you think the place to be will be located, Simon? What is the hot destination? Well, I can tell you where people are going to be going, and that's the usual um, European and North African suspects. So in order very roughly um spain france italy greece portugal uh turkey croatia where by the way it's now in the schengen area and they are spending the euro um egypt where i've just come back from malta and cyprus in the uh, top 10 my top 10 anyway with um uh, tunisia and morocco also popular um are there any particular cities i mean i've heard mention of marseille for some reason well marseille has i think now absolutely completed its transformation from gritty port city which you wouldn't want to sort of spend any longer than it took to find your way to the ferry to north africa or wherever you were going maybe to corsica and it is now an absolutely beautiful and very rewarding 
yeah. port city that is blessed with tourism, with sunny weather, with fantastic places to eat and drink, and now a harbour area, which is absolutely blissful, and also has quaintly a um, a little electric ferry that shuttles back and forth, and I think it costs 50 euro cents. Um, Marseille has always been in the shadow of Nice, further along the coast, uh, but I think it is now going to be somewhere that becomes a, a city break location in its yeah. own right. And I would say there is just as much to amaze and excite you there as there is in Nice or indeed in Barcelona. Well, I'm sure that's true because I actually reported on um, um, Marseille City of Culture um, a long 10 years ago when, in fact, they hadn't completed that uh, harbour um, revamp. And my goodness, it looked pretty marvellous even then. Astonishing buildings, harbouring, as it were, museums and, um, and, and galleries even then. I have actually been doing um, a little bit of uh, research into what other travel journalists think are going to be the uh, the, the the red hot um, things, the new trends in um, 2023 travel, and I certainly got a few um, um, interesting buzz phrases, I suppose uh, you you might call them, um, because let's face it, uh, jargon building is a very important part of uh, travel journalism. So um, how about this one? Set jetting. What do you think that is? Uh, well, the jet setters, of course, that was uh, so, so, yeah. that, that immediately takes you back actually to before the jumbo jet age to the 1960s. So set jetting, go on then. Well, it's travel inspired by series that you might watch on your TV set. Get it? Set jetting. Uh, and, uh, <laughs> oh, or, 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 or I guess, yes, um, or, or indeed the, the set for... I don't know. Um, uh, oh, yes, that, that, I hadn't thought of that, it, isn't it? Um, so, oh, yes, the film example. set. Yes, the, oh. the, the, the manager, which I think was shot in a bit in Egypt, in Cairo, and mostly yeah. in Mallorca. Yes, you're completely right, and I'm almost completely wrong. Um, but we we certainly did a podcast about um, uh, James Bond um, sets, didn't we? Uh, and locations, I suppose, really, we should say. Um, but I think there's been a whole new rash of, of, of very interesting series, um, which one of which I highly uh, recommend uh, to anyone who hasn't seen it yet, which is um, White Lotus, um, mm-hmm. set in... Um, uh, a resort, a very upmarket resort hotel chain in different um, exciting locations. So the first uh, series was set in Hawaii and the second one in Sicily, which um, I know you know well. And we can imagine people rushing to Sicily, but probably not able to exactly, nor wanting to um, replicate some of the (laughs) Awful goings on that uh, that happen um, in the uh, in the White uh, Lotus Hotel. <laughs> oh dear! It sounds as though there were possibly um, infractions of the uh, law more serious than my um, uh, hitchhiking um, issue, where I was um, uh, apprehended by the Sicilian Highway Patrol. Yes, that's right. You were you were um, 
you were virtually escorted off the island, weren't you, by the uh, by the uh, by the Carabinieri? I, I was, yes. The walk of shame, yes. Well, yes. Okay, yeah. another phrase where you'll know this one: culture shock. Apparently, people are going to be keen to be. Um, immersed in a kind of exciting way in uh, in other cultures i suppose the sort of thing you might have in mind is eating the very hottest chili or the most alcoholic drink that um, the uh, uh, the other uh, country can provide um then there's off grid well obviously we know what that is don't we um that's self explanatory well, just just vanishing, and certainly some of us. Well, not least since Brexit. Sorry to mention it for the second time. Um, obviously, roaming in in Europe has become more expensive and more troublesome. So, leaving your mobile phone at home—that's enough to take you off grid these days. Yeah, that's quite yes, that's right. It's a sort of non-digital nomad, isn't it? A kind of uh, <laughs> a, a subsection of yes. um, <laughs> the analog nomad, which um, yes. I, I, <laughs> you heard it first here. <laughs> you did, yes. Okay. Yes, or nomad as they're, as they're better known. Okay. Um, wildlife spotting. Well, obviously we know that. Um, personal betterment uh, and uh, education. Ah. That, I think, is something that, uh, well, I always feel that all travel should involve a bit of that, don't you? Or- well, it certainly it should bring enlightenment, but I am such a, a, an advocate, even though I haven't actually got round to doing it myself, of learning a language abroad. I just think that learning a language is, in any event, the best thing you can do in terms of broadening your experience of a place. And to do it in situ, I yeah. think is just marvellous. Um, and uh, you know, I so, so I urge anybody to take off for uh, I think Salamanca in Spain yeah. is a particularly good place for Spanish. Guatemala, uh, Antigua, yeah. Guatemala is supposed to be cheaper. Um, and of course, you could combine a bit of culture shock with language learning by plunging into the heart of Seoul in ah. Korea. Yeah, an interesting one, and and um, sort of lots of musical and film culture to maybe get more out of if you do um, go to Korea. And yeah, okay, here's another thing that we might be all persuaded to do: having what should we call it, an indigenous experience. Hmm. Oh yes. Well, and again, this is, I guess, speaking to um, a couple of things. First of all. Uh, culture shock and properly getting to understand the uh, culture that you are stepping into. I've just been to the Northern Territory of Australia and my absolute top experience was a place called Top Didge, as in didgeridoo, (laughs) where I was taught to play the didgeridoo and to hunt in the uh, uh, way of the Aboriginal people and uh, also watched fire being created with just a, a couple of pieces of wood and some sand and some some dry grass it was quite remarkable and yes and of course this is all this is the other kind of dimension of of, of green yeah. travel which is that you are culturally sensitive and that you bring stuff to the community rather than just expecting them to um well look after you in a very prosaic um, way, you know, transactionally when you get there. 
Yes, that's a very good thing. And I must, though, um, confess that my most recent um, Indigenous experience um, was not marvellous. I mean, it was my own fault, really, but I was taken by a guide, um, a Mayan uh, guide, an absolutely ah. lovely fellow called Alfredo, um, to visit a um, village, uh, a, a properly Mayan village, because although we tend to think of the Mayan, uh, the great Mayan civilization as having died out before the Spanish uh, conquistadores um, discovered uh, Mexico. Actually, of <laughs> course, there are the descendants of those Mayans uh, still living in mm. the area, particularly in the Yucatan uh, and uh, Chiapas uh, regions of Mexico. And anyway, I was taken to a, a village where the people were sort of trying to build up a new tourist experience um, to try and share in the bounty which uh, the Yucatan has uh, managed to garner from um, that great strip of white sand down the uh, down the east coast so i was invited to lunch in this hut with um, a dirt floor mm. and it was uh, you know a water tap outside and i sat down with the family to an especially baked chicken pie and um i must say that um the chicken part of the pie was actually all the bits of the chicken, um, you know, which obviously is the right thing to do. And we know we should eat everything, but um, we rather tend not to. And uh, uh, the sort of sight of a chicken foot um, did put me off somewhat. Um, so I thought I'd concentrate on the pastry, which was uh, looked golden and lovely um, and was made of uh, maize flour, as of course, one of the, the staples of, of the area. Um, and uh, I couldn't actually... <laughs> I couldn't bite through it. My um, my my pathetic um, uh, Western Nashers was not up to the job. And so while I was being asked, are you enjoying the pie? I was unable to answer because I just could not um, munch my way through oh, this no. thing. So um, I had to, I had to uh. make an excuse and um, go out uh, to the, um, uh, the banyo uh, with the toilet, which was outside. Um, yeah. And, um, and um, basically say farewell to this piece of pastry without ever eating it so i hope to do better though next time uh, well i had a similarly indigenous indigestible experience and this is actually in le puy in uh, in in the massif central oh. of france and i've been picked up thank goodness from somewhere around montpellier in the south by this couple who took me to le puy um i was aiming for paris and uh, they said stay the night and we're going to give you some um uh, dinner and here is the dinner and it is le trip ah. and i thought uh, and of course this was tripe the first and only time i've ever eaten it and no i couldn't digest it either but i think i just sort of swallowed it whole i didn't i remember the bathroom trick trick for next time the good thing about tripe is it does slip down doesn't it because it is so slimy <laughs> well in my experience yeah. um yes and of course yeah. in le prix you should have um been uh, treated to a dish of le prix lentils which are famous and mm. uh, they might even have one of those labels you know appellation contrôlée because uh, uh, one of those special branding 
things which are given to foodstuffs in France as well as wine. I think that would would have been lovely. Anyway, they were they just rescued me anyway. So I would frankly have eaten anything in front of anybody not to be stuck on the auto route. I think at that stage it was the A7 um, and indeed to be instead to be halfway to Paris, which I think I successfully reached without too much bother and certainly without anything indigestible. Well, I'm very glad to hear that. And I do, before we go, have one last question uh, for you, which is, Mm -hmm. do you think that in 2023, we should be planning ahead? Or do you think there is more scope for last minute travel? Oh, Mick, I think about this all the time, because I think that anticipation is a really important part of any travel experience. Um, I My most expensive and worst holiday ever was an Arctic Canadian cruise. Oh, well, which, you've told us about I know. that. Yes. Anyway, yes. it cost an utter fortune. However, I got months of anticipation just thinking about how wonderful ah. it was going to be. The fact that it was terrible doesn't Yeah, it was regrettable. But actually, the other thing I got was a couple of really lovely Canadian friends. Um, Not not third, 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 Canadians are so nice. And actually, part of the problem is they were so nice, they would not complain with me and the other Brits about how terrible it was. Anyway, so anticipation is really good. And if you've got a specific destination in mind and it's the school holidays, then probably now is a really good time to be booking. The holiday companies are offering excellent deals. There's going to be another squeeze on capacity this summer, so there won't be any last-minute bargains during the school holidays. But if, like me, you're flexible about where you can travel and when, um, you can just relax for now knowing that you will be having some great experiences. Well, as soon as we've finished, I'm going to start um, planning my Bruges trip uh, in a bit more detail. And rigorous planning uh, is something that, um, rather against type, we are going to apply to You Should Have Been There. And um, we have a, a splendid quarter of podcasts coming up for you and for our own delight as well, in which we investigate in um, more detail some of those new travel trends and topics which we've touched on um, during this podcast. Yes, and we will be taking a break next week, not least because, as you hear, Mick is going to be in Bruges. Uh, So we'll be hearing more about that. And, of course, you're travelling by train. And so our next podcast, number 140, is going to be with the man in seat 61. International train guru Mark Smith is going to be joining us. If you've got any questions for Mark or for us, of course, you can tweet them to us at you should have been or you can leave us an audio question at anchor.fm forward slash you should have been there anyway thank you for listening for now from me simon calder and me mick webb goodbye goodbye <laughs>